Happy Halloween, everyone! Greetings, foolish mortals, and welcome to this spooky episode of the West End Best Friend Podcast. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, fireburn and cauldron bubble. And Robin, what's bubbling in our cauldron today? Well, Jet, it would appear we have the news! <laughs> So, what's going on in the news this week, Jet? We have so much going on. It's so exciting. And especially because it's been our term uh, in England, I'm surprised that everything is being announced. But everything's being announced. Um, <laughs> starting with the fact that the Great British Bake Off musical is transferring to the West End. Now, there's been a lot of rumours about, you know, what's coming into the West End. There's been such a backlog of shows ready to come in. Um, but this one is transferring for a 12-week run at the Noel Coward Theatre from the 25th of February next year, um, after it started in Cheltenham. Um, so, so this is based on the popular TV show, The Great British Bake Off, if you haven't seen it. Um, and it's got John Owen Jones, he's reprising his whole role as Paul Hollywood. Um, Scott Page is moving into the West End production, as is Claire Moore, Katriana Sanderson, Charlotte Wakefield, um, and Aharon Brainer is making their West End debut. So it's very exciting. I did not see this originally, um, so I'm very much um, chomping at the bit to go. I'm hoping they do what... Um, what waitress did and have an auditorium that's filled with the smell of baking as you go in oh that would um, be amazing <laughs> exactly um so if you are interested in getting tickets you can go to bakeoffthemusical.com yes that will be also i really want to see it i've loved the little video that they've released online of the opening number and stuff it sounds great i can't wait for this so i'm really excited to to go and see bake off the musical moving on to our next article we have the west end star carrie hope fletcher has added further dates to her solo tour next year um she starred in treason adam's family and heather's just to name a few and she's now visiting oxford liverpool leicester milton Keynes, south end bath and glasgow on her solo tour um, it opens on the 18th of May next year in Bradford and tickets for the new dates go on sale at 10am on Friday the 4th of November. Um, you can get those at www.cuffandtaylor.com. That is very exciting and Carrie Hutfletcher notoriously best friends with Scott Page who is going to be in Bake Off the Musical. Yes. So it's all coming full circle. <laughs> Now, exciting news in the movie world this week with the Wicked movie. Now, we know that Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande are going to be joining as Elphaba and Glinda. We know Jonathan Bailey is going to be there as Fierro. Now, there are rumours that Jeff Goldblum is in final talks to be the wizard in the film. Now, the film's actually going to come out in two parts, so it's going to be a proper blockbuster. And I think that's amazing. I think Jeff Goldblum's so zany and fun. He's going to bring so much energy to it. But some people are like, hmm, not entirely sure if that's who we want. So, besties, I want to hear your thoughts. Do you think Jeff Goldblum is a perfect casting for The Wizard? Or have you got better suggestions of who should be filling the role? I need you to get in touch and let us know what you think is the best idea before the films come out. Christmas 2024. We've got so long to wait, but going to be worth the wait in the end. I'm actually really excited about this news. I think Jeff would be an amazing wizard and really different from any wizard we've seen in any of the productions. And of course he was, uh, I think he's going to play it similar to how we played the character in Thor um, God of Thunder, like that sort of malevolent, <laughs> uh, slightly benevolent, uh, crazy ruler. I think that will work really well. It's going to be great. And it's going to bring a real different sort of feel. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I love Wicked anyway, so I'm I'm very excited about this film. I just hope they do it correctly. Um, 
And so Disney have news this week. Disney have announced their Disney 100, the concert, uh, UK and European tour is starting in 2023. So this concert is going to feature legendary film scores from Disney movies. Uh, There's going to have a giant screen with loads of sort of clips and a live orchestra, which is the Hollywood Sound Orchestra with um, loads of star soloists. There's going to be music from Beauty and the Beast, Mary Poppins, Encanto, loads more. There's also going to be Star Wars music and Marvel music. It's going to be a big old Disney 100-year celebration, uh, which is just going to be incredible. Uh, You can get tickets online now at DisneyTickets.co.uk. I can't wait for this. I love a live orchestra. I love Disney. What what more do you need? I love a live orchestra. I love Disney. And I also love, like, whenever they do an amazing Disney score, I think not everyone who isn't in the world of musical theatre, I think they sometimes think of Disney films and musical theatre as two very different things. Um, And you're like, well, no, it's amazing. But then they bring all of these incredible actors and singers from the world of musical theatre into them. So to actually have the opportunity to be there, to hear them in person, not just just as the animated version showing off and uh, absolutely revelling in all of those amazing songs with a full orchestra, is going to be really really exciting i think and also one for everybody to go to if you're like three or 300 you're going to be well on board with going and being in that world um and one which actually takes us back to our halloween theme which i think is absolutely perfect which is 90s classic buffy the vampire slayer is coming to the stage brendan murphy has a brand new show called buffy revamped which is a production that features all 144 episodes of the original series told through the perspective of the vampire Spike. Now, I'm a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know that it has a good place in so many people's hearts, so I think this is one that we definitely want to keep an eye out for. It opens on the 9th of January 2023 at Wilton's Music Hall and then, deep breath, is going to Bedford, Cheltenham, Twickenham, Salford, Currie, Darlington, Poole, Swindon, Guildford, High Wycombe, Banbury, Aylesbury, Nottingham, Cardiff, Blackpool, Exeter, Southampton, Aberdeer, Windermere, Dublin, Bromley, York, Colchester, Ipswich, and Southend. Well done. (laughs) There we go. I feel like the world's most fast-paced train conductor. Um, So if you are interested in going to see that, you can get tickets at buffyrevamp.co.uk. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. I'd love to see a one-man show covering all 144 episodes of a TV show. I think so too, and I, and I can't imagine on earth what it would be like. Um, but I think if you are a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, then that love and that silliness and the ambition of going through a whole 140 episodes is exactly what you need to approach it with that energy of, well, I love it, so you're coming on this roller coaster with me. And this is coming off the back of their Edinburgh Fringe uh, performance, so it did very well in Edinburgh, hence the huge tour that they are doing next year. Now, as we said, it is the spooky season of Halloween. It is indeed. And so we wanted to take a look at some of the biggest hitters when it comes to Halloween musical theatre that you think of. Now, we think that we've got a definitive list here, but send in any ideas that you think of things that we have missed. Robin, are you a fan of Halloween? I am a fan of Halloween. I love carving pumpkins. I've done some very intricate pumpkins in the past. Um, I've done Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. I've done a minion. I've done Cat in the Hat. I've done a Lego superhero. Uh, I'm doing Stitch this year for my pumpkin. Uh, Very nice. Which will be completed and put outside the door for our trick-or-treaters this year. How about you, Jet? Do you like Halloween? I 
like the concept of Halloween, uh, although I'm fairly useless at it in execution, which is terrible because I'm hugely into Christmas um, and throw <laughs> extravagant Christmas parties. But Halloween, I'm never as good at. I think because I worry that if people don't really commit to dressing up, that it makes me really sad. But I do like it. Um, my ambitions for pumpkins usually are slightly higher than my skill level so a few years ago I attempted to do Forky uh, from Toy Story 2 and Forky's quite slim when you carve into him so by the time that I'd sort of got round he was sort of hanging by a thread of pumpkin oh, no. at the bottom um, so I will be carving a pumpkin tonight and putting it out though I think you've suggested that I just go simple so that the trick-or-treaters know that they actually can come to my house yes just I mean, a simple triangle face, triangle eyes, and a, and a jaggedy mouth is all you need to let trick-or-treaters know that you are up for the joyous occasion that is Halloween. Now, one of the ways that I do find it easier to get into the Halloween spirit is to use, use musical theatre as my gateway drug. Um, and that's why we've got our Halloween top five best Halloween-themed musicals for spooky season. And I'm going to start with Beetlejuice, the musical, the musical, the musical. Ooh, I like what you did there. <laughs> I would love to say that I came up with that with them myself, but they definitely have that on their website. <laughs> now, Beetlejuice the Musical opened on Broadway in March 2019 with Alex Brightman from School of Rock in the title role as Beetlejuice and Sophia Ann Caruso as Lydia, who I was also just watching at the weekend in The School of Good and Evil on Netflix. Now, the musical follows the plot of the 1988 Tim Burton movie, but it's got even more malevolent magic with an original soundtrack by Eddie Perfect and a book by Scott Brown and Anthony King. But I think what's interesting about it is that whilst it was nominated for eight Tonys, it won absolutely zero. When it was first released in 2019, the New York Times reviewed it and said, in Beetlejuice, the afterlife is exhausting. This frantic adaptation of Tim Burton's much-loved 1988 film is sure to dishearten those who like to think of the afterlife as one unending, undisturbed sleep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that brutal? That's so harsh. But what happened is, like so many things that happened with the pandemic, it massively switched things up. And when the theatres closed in March 2020, it found a whole new audience through TikTok. And the younger audience decided that the irreverent and the edgy take on the spooky tale was exactly what they wanted. And it's now the hot ticket on Broadway and it's on tour across the US as well. Now, Sophia Ann Caruso has moved on to be replaced by the wonderful Elizabeth Teeter, um, but Alex Brightman's still on stage, eighth show a week, saying, please say my name three times, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, <laughs> Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, I discovered this show uh, just through the soundtrack mainly, and it took a few listens, but once you kind of get what they're doing, it's amazing. Yes, definitely. You can sort of see how it's one where it's more accessible to see the entire thing right in front of you. But the soundtrack is more of a challenge to get into it. And also it's quite dark. You know, it really focuses on the fact that Lydia has moved there because her mum is dead. And that's a really hard thing for her to challenge with. So it sort of leans into the grief along with the absolute madness of singing Deo and puppeting people around a dining table like they're animatronic puppets. So it is it is a mix. But um, I have a friend who was in New York currently and she saw it this week um which is very very envious of and she says it's absolutely phenomenal she understands exactly why it's been a sensation i know it had issues because obviously when it opened and it had reviews like that it it didn't do very well in its initial opening so they booked the theater for another show after it so they it had a limited run then it picked up people loved it but the theater had booked a new show in it closed with sellout audiences so they worked really hard to bring it back and yeah it's it's doing so well on Broadway now. 
It really is. I really hope that we have rumours of a, a transfer over this way sometime soon because I think it would do really, really well in the UK. The next one on our list, which is Little Shop of Horrors. So Little Shop of Horrors was written back in 1982 by the incredible Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Um, and they decided to adapt a 1960 B-movie into an all-singing, all-dancing musical, which is, of course, as we know it, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, it tells the story of shopkeeper Seymour Krelborn, who discovers a carnivorous man-eating plant. Um, Seymour suddenly becomes a very popular and very successful plant seller, whilst having to deal with the plant's voracious appetite, as well as falling in love with Audrey and dealing with her awful boyfriend, a dentist named Orin. Uh, Alan Menken resisted calls to transfer the show to Broadway as he preferred the audiences off Broadway and so the original production wasn't eligible for any Tonys or anything like that but when it transferred to London it opened in the West End with Ellen Green retaining the role of Audrey one that she continued throughout the stage show and then into the film adaptation and is still belting out somewhere that's green and suddenly Seymour to this day at the age of 71 Notable revivals include the past Adina production in 2019 with MJ Rodriguez playing Audrey and Amber Riley as Audrey 2 and also in 2019 an off-Broadway revival with Jonathan Groff as Seymour. I mean Little Shop of Horrors, everyone knows Little Shop of Horrors it's... It's, it's incomparable it is absolutely bonkers and absolutely brilliant I think a doo-wop soundtrack to the, to the idea of something eating, you know, a plant eating people alive I don't know how people come up with these ideas and how they work, but it really, really does. Have you watched the Howard documentary on Disney Plus? Yes, I have. They they go a lot into Little Shop of Horrors and, and the fact that no one wanted to pick it up. So they put it on in their own theatre and they produced it themselves and everything. And yeah, it, it must have been such a exciting time for kind of show writers back then to be able to be like i'm gonna do it myself um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, why not why can't i do it and also i think the thing that really worked for it because obviously when you think of it we think of the incredible songs that have really lasted the test of time the thing that brought people in was the fact that there was this tiny little audrey two plant right at the beginning that grew and grew throughout the stage show and by the end was threatening the audience itself <laughs> was the thing that really got people back was the spectacle of it um and I think that's absolutely joyous just puppeteering taking over like that uh, and having a life of its own is wonderful a fun fact from the from that documentary uh when howard ashman and alan minkin wrote the soundtrack for the little mermaid howard ashman apparently saw it as almost like a little shop of horrors 2 almost um in the way he approached it and always referred to part of your world as somewhere that's wet I like that a lot. And you can see that. I can see those two uh, bleeding into each other as some form of mashup. Yeah, it's it's the I want song that he, that he always said about in all of his all of his musicals. You know, the character needs an I want moment and that's mm-hmm. what sets them off on their journey. I'm not sure the the characters in our next show kind of wanted to end up where they did, but um... <laughs> No, you're right, but the next one, I mean, it's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. We're Do doing a time warp. It's Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show. <laughs> yeah, we're sticking with B-movies at this point because I think from, from one B-movie to the next, which is Rocky Horror Picture Show, and like Robin said, these are three shows that all did terribly critically when they first came out. <laughs> this first started in London all the way back in 1973. 
and came to the stage with Tim Curry and Richard O'Brien developing this show for the Royal Court of all things, which I don't think I'd have ever thought. Oh yeah, Royal Court, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And it tells the story of the sweet transvestite, Frankenfurter, and his bang, his gang of misfits, and the poor couple whose car breaks down um, and who have to take shelter in their house. And it was first staged in, as I say, in 1973, and when it was actually developed into a film in 1975, it was such a phenomenal flop that the few theatres that had actually put it on to watch the film pulled the cinema, pulled it from the cinema completely, but then it found its cult audience, and it's now grossed over $170 million worldwide, and it holds the record for the longest continually running movie release of all times. That's insane. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and I think what works so well about it is, and I think the joy of Rocky Horror is its camp silliness and its unadulterated indulgence in all things queer and sexy. And it's one of the first, um, I mean, way before Secret Cinema was doing immersive theatre an immersive cinema rocky horror absolutely went into it so since the 70s fans have always dressed up in fish nights and feathers for shows shows of the film at midnight um and they're all interactive in fact to the point that it's rumored that david bowie's wife was the first person who made the audience participation kick off because when richard o'brien's riffraff took out his laser gun to shoot tim curry in 1973 she shouted no don't do it <laughs> And I don't know if that's absolute rubbish, if it was actually her, but I think that that lovely, lovely transformation from that to now where you go and watch the film and you have actors lip syncing along to the main roles um, and audiences who, audience members who always have to remember to bring along their trusty newspapers so they don't get wet. Um, I think it's an absolute joy fest. Um, not that scary at all for Halloween, a very accessible film, but completely silly and completely wonderful. Shock, I've not actually seen this live in a theatre. I, I need to. I've been told by loads of people I need to go and see it. But I've heard, don't the audience literally have lines where if they don't do the line, the show doesn't continue? Yes, it's full on audience participation. It's, you know, they, people know which bits to, you know, to shout back at. People know what to do things. And yeah, so the newspapers happen because when Susan Sarandon's completely drenched uh, in the film and getting covered, she covers her head in newspaper. And at that point, the actors tend to squeak squirt everybody in the audience with water pistols. <laughs> But actually, it's interesting because Susan Sarandon had such a terrible time making this film. Like, she tried to get out of her contract. She contracted hypothermia. And she's also said in recent interviews, I was watching one on YouTube for, I think, Vanity Fair, where she goes through her life and her career. And she said that her trailer kept crouching on fire while she was filming. So she did not expect this to be the cult classic that it is today. <laughs> wow. Yeah, see, I didn't realise it was a stage show before the film. I thought it was a film first, so... No, and, and look, and lovely, a film that actually got to keep the original cast members in, so it's still got Tim Curry, who was one of the original originators of it, and Richard O'Brien, but then obviously brought on Susan Sarandon, it's got Meatloaf in it, and then the wonderful Patricia Crin and Nell Campbell, who are just, you know, you wouldn't be able to make Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is a perfect film that you don't need, you don't need it to change ever, ever again. No. It's iconic and it will always be iconic. It will. Although the Glee version of it did make me want to not watch it ever again. Did you watch that? I had not seen the Glee version. I've seen the remake they did recently. Oh, Don't when watch... did that happen? Oh, it was a few years ago. Don't watch it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. Yeah, it's not amazing. Stick to the original. Stick to the original. But the next on the list continues in this theme of films that uh, musicals that 
didn't work that well the first time around until they found their perfect audience. Yeah, so the next one on the list is The Addams Family. So the musical version of The Addams Family was first produced in Chicago in 2009 with music by Andrew Lipper. Um, it's had several iterations over its life. The Chicago version was dark, quirky and atmospheric and intended by the producers to be an offbeat take on 19th century gothic um, before becoming more upbeat and zany when opening on Broadway in 2010. The original cast on Broadway included Nathan Lane as Gomez, who you might not know the name, but you will recognise as characters such as Timon in The Lion King. <laughs> you might not know the name Nathan Lane. Well, you no, not. Lovely listeners, if you don't know the name Nathan Lane, you have an entire journey for you to go on. If you have never seen The Producers or The Birdcage, the man, firstly, his voice is iconic, but the man is wonderful. He was even in Modern Family. I mean, he's 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 there. He's everywhere. So I, I didn't really know who Nathan Lane was um, until I watched Modern Family and I was like, hang on, that's the voice of Timon. And then I looked into him. <laughs> I know, shocking, shocking. I should just leave now. Like it's, it's. I, no, I absolutely love that. I love <laughs> that it brought in a whole new generation. I think that's really important, and that's you know, that's how we bring in new people to things is by opening up the of the pool. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, though, like Beetlejuice, the musical was initially critically panned. Um, re- reviews such as tepid goulash of vaudeville song and dance routines, borscht belt jokes, stingless sitcom zingers and homey romantic plot lines that were mossy in the age of Father Knows Best. <laughs> I mean, it's it's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal. Very brutal. But it's... I love it. I think it's a great show. But and yeah, it took on its second life through school productions and amateur productions, becoming the best-selling show in a number of productions across the US over 2015 to 2020. And in 2016, it was announced that the show would be coming to London with Carrie Hope Fletcher in the role of Wednesday Adams, Samantha Womack as her mother Morticia and Les Dennis as Uncle Fester. The show recently concluded its second UK tour with Scott Page taking on Uncle Fester. It's Scott again. Um, <laughs> Sorry, they're everywhere this week. Although in reality, I think from Instagram, I know that they're in um, Disneyland. Um, so, you know, our good friends, Scott and Gary. I love it. I think it's so fun. I saw this at the new Wimbledon Theatre on its original tour. And I'm so intrigued as to what that original Broadway show was versus the one as it is now. Because it is, it's just fun, it's silly. They do a really good job of, so it's the story of Wednesday falling in love with a normal, quote unquote, normal boy and his parents coming to dinner for the first time and her desperately trying to get her parents to behave like normal people, as all teenagers, I'm sure, have been in that position of saying, hey, no, our family are weird and everyone else is normal. But of course, the Adams family antics sort of take over um, and they sort of all conclude that it's best to be your own weird self, um, just as wonderful as that is. But I think the thing that confused me the most about it is that Uncle Fester's in love with the moon. Yeah, that was interesting. I'm assuming it's because of his bald head, maybe? Um, yeah, maybe it was like, <laughs> just like, yes, I see myself in this moon and we are clearly the same. It's the same as in... Um, Oh, what is it? In The Princess and the Frog, the firefly is also in love with a star. Yes. Or the moon. It is Everyone's the star, falling in love with the moon. Yeah. It's adorable, though, Vesta being in love with the moon. 
it's so sweet and it's got some really good songs in it you know when you're an adams which is sort of the main title tracky sort of one very very catchy but then the love songs as well are just beautiful and things like full disclosure is like a big chorus number is amazing and also the one night it's the um one normal yes. night. That's it. One normal, One normal night, night. Yeah, is again a huge chorus number, which is just great. Like they're really epic songs. I've and only... I think that also makes sense to why it's done so well as school and amateur productions because if it is the best selling show for people to license it for school productions, it's because it is such a good ensemble ensemble piece. You know, you've got you've got Wednesday and Lucas there in the title roles, sort of playing the the love characters. But then you've got all of these amazing characters that you can embody. There's like men and women. There's an entire cast of ancestors who get to be their own quirky selves. Who are the Adams family ancestors who need to find their peace. And so you've got all sorts of people. You've got Victorians and, uh, and people from Shakespearean time, or wandering around the stage at the same time as the rest of the characters. So you can see why you'd be like, yeah, this is exactly why teenagers and schools cast want to get into it yeah and i know the show was released for amateur and school licenses in the uk before a professional production was put on which is quite rare these days normally a professional one gets put on and then and then yeah, the rights definitely. Are released. because i know i saw i saw a youth production and an amateur production um in my local area before it was put on as a professional tour so yeah it, it really sort of got its feet through amateur productions in the UK, which I think is a really great way to do it. Definitely. And I think it's a brilliant way to bring people into, I mean, the first time, like the amount of musicals that I got into through doing them through amateur things where I'd never have heard of them otherwise, you know, I am a Godspell stan. And I think that that is someone that for someone in their thirties, that is not a normal thing to really be into. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of people who are like, you know that show. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. And they're like, the one about Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. Um, but from the from the Adams family to slightly more classic, which was a commercial and critical success the whole way, but I think still has an opera ghost at the heart of it, and that is <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera is here. I do my own sound effects now, folks. Don't you worry. <laughs> So yeah, this is a classic of musical theatre and has been an absolute smasher ever since it opened in 1986, which is Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. Um, it's based on a book from 1910 by Gaston LaRue, which I can tell you I've never read. And who needs to? Because it's much better to watch this version, which follows the story of Christine Daae, who is the ingenue growing up and working at the Opera House in France, and then her relationship with the opera ghost, the Phantom, who is her, both her inspiration and her biggest menace as she also wants to fall in love and follow her dreams it is i mean it's an absolutely beautiful soundtrack it has actually been the longest running show on broadway um which has been playing for 36 years and it's actually closing next year in 2023 after 13,925 performances and 19.8 million tickets sold which is insane but it's still on here in the in the UK in the West End and I think one of the things that really got people when it first started was the parallels between the relationship between the Phantom and Christine Daae and Andrew Lloyd Webber and his original leading lady Sarah Brightman who he was married to for six years and I think he's compared it a few times with this angelic voice and then the composer in the background although I did read that when Lloyd Webber first met her he didn't think that much of her and said she had a nice voice but that was about 
because he wrote the show and i think that wouldn't be quite as inspirational as for for an entire stage show he wrote the show for her didn't he he did yeah so he'd had her in cats she auditioned for cats and i think she played uh jasmine a lesser cat let's let's put it that way um and then after the off the back of that he said you know you you are my muse you are my angel of music and and wrote this incredible show for her because she could sing a top e and that's obviously the note at the end of the phantom of the opera song but fun fact about that that note is pre-recorded in the show yes and each person gets to choose every single performance whether or not they're going to sing it and if you are watching the show if the actress is facing forward then she is singing that note live if she has turned around and is facing backwards then she has used the track (laughs) (laughs) which i think is very fair because that is a very very high note to try and reach but it is a a lesser known fact of the the magic of musicals uh, (laughs) that she will turn around and have that as a pre-recorded note it's a really incredible show i first discovered it with the production at the albert hall the 25th oh. anniversary production starring Sierra Borges and uh, Ramin Karimlu. Yes, he's very, very beautiful voice. Very beautiful voice. And th- to me, that's kind of the epitome of versions of Phantom. Like, it's incredible. Okay. They, they got multiple casts in. They had to fly in costumes from Broadway because there were so many people in it. Um, it, was just, it was just incredible. And you can get it on, on DVD. You can get it online and stuff. So definitely, if you want to see phantom and you want a bit of a sort of entry into it watch that version first and then go and experience it in the theater because it's it's really atmospheric and creepy but also incredible and he's yeah it's inc- it, i really like it i've seen it quite a few times in london whereas um, on the other hand i discovered it through either three cds that came with the newspaper that would have like one song on <laughs> and then the first time i saw it from start to finish is and i'm gonna whisper Shocking. If you haven't seen the film version, it's got Jared Butler as the Phantom. And I don't think I have always connected the dots there that it's Jared Butler. And I also find it very confusing because Emmy Rossum is Christine. And then most people seem to know her from the American version of Shameless, where she's like quite grungy and downtrodden. And I'm like, no, 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 she's Christine Dyer. What are you talking about? <laughs> what what I love, my the bit I love sort of between the stage show and the film is the bit where you sort of first get an introduction to the Phantom and, like, something happens. You don't see him, but he does something. And in the musical, it's this huge moment. He's like, he's here, the Phantom of the Opera! And in the movie, they're just like, he's here, the Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) Like, it's such a contrast. I really wish, listeners, that you could see Robin's face right now because (laughs) there was such awe and beauty um, and so much acting going on on the other side of this movie. <laughs> okay, so don't miss that one. Don't Maybe don't have the same uh, introduction to it as me because it does have a 33% score on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> um, I actually looked it up earlier and the quotes from critics include, it deserves to be locked up in a dank water-filled dungeon and left to moulder. <laughs> And one critic wrote, as I was sitting in the auditorium alone watching this film, I kept looking around hoping there was a chandelier above me getting ready to plummet to the ground. <laughs> wow. Just brutal. So what we're learning about Halloween Halloween shows 
fans is that it's the audiences that sustain them clearly because the critics don't know what they're talking about and while we're just while we're on phantom can i just give a quick shout out to love never dies oh whilst we're on controversial opinions yes so i've heard that love never dies when it opened in london was not very good um <laughs> i hear it opened and then closed very quickly afterwards yeah it wasn't on for long um i think people were this like, is the sequel to phantom of the opera that was written yes. by andrew lloyd webber many 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 years after phantom opened yeah phantom 2 um and yeah it, I've, I've heard the soundtrack as well and i'm like it doesn't feel like it holds together and a lot of people that i know who went to see it they were like that there wasn't any sort of throwbacks to the original phantom it didn't feel right and stuff like that anyway he rewrote it and opened it in new zealand as you do and that's the version that's been filmed and you can get it again on streaming services and on dvd and stuff and that show is incredible like i'm i really really love it it was meant to be doing a, a world tour um and then covid happened which mm-hmm. i was really gutted about because i wanted to see it live but they've gone down a real kind of like circusy macabre freak showy route and it's all based Ooh, on Coney really Island steering in into the weirdness yeah really steering into the weirdness as we all should yeah and it's it's sort of a very quick overview is phantom and meg jiri and meg's mum are all on coney island and they've sort of been looking after him and they they healed him at the end of the first show and stuff like that and then uh he manages to lure christine Daye over for a production because she's not been singing for years and it's her first performance after years and years of being quiet and so he lures her over with her family so obviously raul and christine's child and it's all about sort of the re- reuniting of these characters and a little little plot twist which i'm not going to give away but it makes it very very intriguing Ooh. yeah okay well that is a lot of spooky Halloween recommendations for everybody's Halloween viewing. There are some that we missed off. Sweeney Todd. Obviously. The wonderful Sweeney Todd. Yep. Carrie. Yep. Uh, the Stephen King adaptation. Jekyll and Hyde, of which I only know the song In His Eyes, of of one of those aforementioned newspaper free CDs that I got <laughs> as a child. But I love it, and I do think I can sing both of the parts. I don't need anyone's help. It's fine. What have we missed, listeners? Uh- Bessie, have we missed any really good Halloween spooky season themed shows? Now, here's the time in the show where we share your stage door snapshots, which of course you can all see by going to the Western Best Friend Instagram page. This week, we're going, of course, spooky. And Jet, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, now. I actually want to share one of my own this year because whilst I said I don't always get into Halloween, a few years ago I really got into Halloween. I really, really got into Halloween. And me and three of my friends decided to go as the cast of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh my God. <laughs> now, I was Audrey. I don't particularly wear clothes like Audrey wears. So I had to ask around quite a lot for a little black dress. Never felt sexier. Um, it was great. I felt very, very glamorous. And I had my leopard print on and a little black dress. And what was wonderful is, listen, you don't see this, but I have brown hair now. But for a long, long, long time, I had bleach blonde hair. And being Audrey meant that I got to dress in my with a bleach blonde wig again and questioned why I spent six years with bleach blonde hair. So I don't think it suits me as well as I thought it did at the time. <laughs> but it was really good fun. My husband, who was not my husband at the time, he was the dentist. And um, 
so we were doing some crafting with um with black blow-up balloons to try and make them look like gas and air um <laughs> and my friend suzanne who is a costume designer who i probably have mentioned before um did a full-on bodysuit with head dress sort of hat hood wonderful thing to be audrey too uh, and she looked absolutely incredible. Not entirely sure how sustainable it was for the Halloween party. So I will pop a picture of that one on Instagram, which is my full on musical theatre Halloween crossover where me and three of my friends dressed up as um, the cast of Little Shop of Horrors. What about you, Robin? So I've not ever actually dressed up as a musical character for Halloween. I know, shocking. But I have dressed up as a musical character outside of a show. Um, So I went to Comic-Con a few years ago with uh, some of my friends. And, you know, Comic-Con is all about popular culture and movies and TV. And I'm like, why not theatre? So (laughs) I went, I created uh, my own Dear Evan Hansen costume. And I made a cast and everything. um, And it's got Connor written on it. I've got the polo shirt. I bought the New Balance shoes. Like, I was going, going all out for this costume. Uh, And it was great. And as I was going around Comic-Con, I was trying on, like, T-shirts and things. And loads of people actually thought I'd broken my arm. (laughs) Oh bless them! And I was like, "No, oh, it's fine." Them. And I just took off the uh, took off the cast, and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've got my Evan Hansen costume, which comes out for different conventions. So musical theatre is just such a brilliant one to dress up as Halloween because you can go from like the most like the accessible um like that like Evan Hansen although perhaps not if you go and buy the specific band of trainer all the way to something absolutely phantasmagorical and go full green as Elphaba or you know you can really take it to the level that you want to reach out <laughs> so you can see our pictures on our Instagram page which will be available once the show is released and it's all well and good hearing our stories but we need to hear from you have you been to the theatre recently for a special occasion a particular memorable performance have you taken inspiration from the world of the stage for your Halloween costumes or even for your pumpkins well we want to see your stage door snapshots simply send us a selfie or a photo along with your story and we will hopefully share it on our future shows Absolutely. You can email us at West End Best Friend Podcast, WEBF Podcast at gmail.com, or get in touch via social media. All of our details are in the show notes. Now, that is all we have time for on this episode of the West End Best Friend Podcast. Before we go, we want to send our best wishes to Rob Madge, who is currently convalescing. We hope they recover soon and are able to join us on a future show. But if you're still craving more from Rob, the soundtrack to their show, My Sons Are Queer, But What Can You Do, was released this week. Robin, you've had it on repeat, haven't you? I've had it on repeat. I've been learning all the lyrics. I've cried multiple times. Uh, it's it's glorious like it's such a lovely soundtrack i wish i could see it live they're still doing their run up in london and i really hope that it goes on tour because i would uh, i would love to see this live so much if if you're anywhere on the lgbt spectrum or if you're an ally to lgbt or if you just if you're just a person you're gonna it's gonna (laughs) hit you like honestly I've cried so much to the soundtrack and my boyfriend was just like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm baking, but I'm crying because it's lovely. <laughs> and I think that would be so great if it goes on tour so it actually can reach audiences where it needs to reach audiences, right? You know, yes. to go to smaller towns where it can go, where people can come along and go, oh my goodness, here's the community, here's the representation that I really needed. And the, the very quick overview, the story is uh, about Rob, childhood and how they put on a Disney parade in their living room for their family and they're 
their supportive parents got on board, their grandmother got on board, and it's just all about growing up as a queer person and what life is like like that and how you shouldn't be ashamed to be Belle and be Ariel and sing and put on all these shows and just have fun because life is about having fun there needs to be enjoyment in it and and be able to be who you are here here yes here here <laughs> um, so yes well definitely sending our very best wishes to you to recover soon so if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends about us. And if you really enjoyed it, please give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back soon with more news, reviews and insights from the West End and beyond. Till then, you can keep up with all the goings on via the West End Best Friend website and across our social media. All the details are in the show notes. Till then, I am Jack Gerbertson. And I am Robin Dibbin. And we are wishing you a very spooky Halloween and a wonderful week ahead. See you, See you soon. soon. <laughs>